Hello, everybody. Welcome to Take the Stage Coaching Podcast, where I help artists successfully navigate the pressures of their entrepreneurial careers. This is professional certified mindfulness coach Evan Dunn Baritone, and you are listening to episode 95. Is everyone saying no to your singing career? Well, we here at Take the Stage Opera Podcast say toy, toy, toy. Find out what is holding you back so you can stop waiting in the wings and go out and get your standing ovation. There are no forbidden topics here, so get your ticket and find your seat. In Boca Lupo. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining with me today. I just had a wonderful week thinking about last week's episode and all the things that I learned about taking up my own space, owning my presence. And I've gotten some good feedback from other people who enjoyed that episode. And if you haven't listened to episode 94 on that topic, please go back and do that now. I think it is so important for artists to learn that skill. And so I've been working on it in my own life, and I decided that I wanted to squeeze an extra episode further discussing that topic um, because of how wonderful it is. So here's an example from my own life of <laughs> me practicing taking up my space, owning my space. So I held a recital for my voice students, and it ended up being about 10 minutes longer than I had planned or than I had wanted. And um, usually I sing at the end of the recital because it's good for me to perform and practice. It's also good for my students to hear me. But once I realized that the recital was going a little long, my instinct was to announce, that I wouldn't be singing at the recital, that because it was going long, and just thanks everyone for coming and supporting. And as I thought about it, though, I realized that, well, I'm preparing for a recital in a couple weeks. This would be a good opportunity for me to practice a song I've been preparing for that recital. But I mentioned that instinct, (laughs) the instinct of cutting the recital short, keeping it short. And that instinct stems from how I was raised to think about my time. So I'm going to tell some stories about um, my experiences growing up. Uh, For example, I remember singing in concerts and my family would ask if I was in the first or the second half of the concert so that they could come late or leave early. And you know what? They just weren't interested in classical music like I was. And so going to long concerts was not their favorite evening activity. And I totally get that. I remember talking to them after concerts and I wanted to discuss the concert and and what they liked and um, stuff like that. And they would just kind of generally share one or two things that they found amusing about the concert rather than getting into the depths of what the concert meant. (laughs) Like maybe, oh, the dresses that the choir chose to wear didn't fit very well. Or that one of, that the oboe soloist was um, playing out of tune. (laughs) And I always felt such a deep connection to my musical experiences. 
And I hoped that my family would as well. And that just wasn't usually the case. And so I maybe in some ways I started to think that everyone was felt like that, you know. And so these experiences in some ways taught me how not to own my space as an artist and other experiences that I'll I'll talk about later. I don't and so I don't mean that my family did something wrong or that they are to blame for my um kind of insecurities as an artist. I'm reminded of the shame blame trap that Brene Brown teaches about. Any time that we feel uncomfortable feelings in our lives like shame, we tend to search for someone to blame those feelings on. And that's the trap, the trap of trying to blame the shame on someone else. So I want to say that my family is not responsible to love what I do as an artist. That's not their job. (laughs) It never was their job. It's never going to be their job. They have different interests than me. And that is one of the things that makes my family wonderful and exciting. I learn so much from them. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I'm sure that they learn things from me too. And I'm glad that they got to sit through lots of long concerts. I'm sure it was good for them. You know, I think it's good for all of us to learn how to be patient and sit in a seat and have to focus on something for a long time. (laughs) But I do find myself, as I've noticed and been more mindful about myself, for example, if I'm in the middle of a concert where I'm playing or singing or performing, whatever, I kind of have this voice in my head. (laughs) And the voice in my head wonders if anyone even wants to be there. The voice wonders if the audience members just came because they know someone and that they just wish the concert would get over already. And the voice tells me that it is selfish of us artists to assume that people want to sit through two-hour concerts or three-hour operas or musicals or whatever. And I just did The Sound of Music, and I was so worried. Oh, my goodness, everyone's going to think it's so long. And, oh, are we getting our pacing right? And, of course, it's good that I'm worried about getting my pacing right because that's important. It helps to um, make the show more powerful and more entertaining for the audience. But... You know, like how selfish of us to get up on that stage and just demand that people pay attention to us, even if they don't want to. (laughs) Anyway, I'm reminded of times when I'd be sitting in a church service and someone would talk longer than they were asked to and the meeting would go long. And it just drove me crazy. Don't they know that they aren't supposed to waste our time? Or maybe if meetings or rehearsals go long. Oh, honestly, I really struggle if rehearsals go long. Or sometimes I think, does this director think that this is all we want to do? Like that we don't have a life or a family at home and that we just want to sit here and hang out at rehearsal all the time? (laughs) How rude are these people? And yes, I do value other people's time. I don't want to assume that everyone wants to sit around and listen to me all the time. Okay, so that is so true. But I have learned this kind of standard of taking up space, taking up time, where I honestly thought that no one would ever want to actually hear what I had to say. For example, if I was standing up to announce a recital for my students, I'd get all clammy and say something quick and just jump right into the recital. And um, my wife would comment afterward, 
like she'd say, Evan, you have a big personality and you usually know what to say when you're in front of friends. You're not afraid to speak and be yourself. How come you are so nervous to be yourself and you kind of get all shy as soon as you're in front of this audience? It's like you're hiding. And um, she'd, she'd say, just be your genuine, authentic self. Get up in front of the audience and be yourself, which is tricky because sometimes when you have these beliefs, you don't know what your authentic self is. And okay, here's another one. Here's another example from my childhood. And if you know me or have listened to this podcast, you know that I'm a huge gymnastics fan. I talk about it all the time. I love tumbling. I always have. My parents talked about how I spent more time upside down as a a little child than I did right side up. I've always loved tumbling on the grass. I would tumble over the couches in my home until the couches were worn ragged and I tumbled on the grass in front of my house. We lived kind of in a secluded area and there was this one spot in my lawn where I would tumble so much that there was basically like a line of dirt where (laughs) I would tumble. And tumbling is honestly one of my favorite pastimes. And I've been thinking about how as a kid, I was taught by society not to be a show off. And I thought that doing gymnastics on the grass was in some way inappropriate. Like it would make people feel uncomfortable that I could do something that they couldn't do. But I don't have any other place to do gymnastics. You know, there's not room in my house. I'm six foot two. And I honestly went for years as an adult without tumbling at all. Never. Because I didn't have a place in private to do it. And I thought I couldn't do it outside for where people could see me do it. And why is that? How sad is that? That I limited myself to not do the thing I loved most because it might make someone else feel uncomfortable. So, hey, guys, I tell you this all the time. But here is a newsflash for myself. (laughs) I'm not responsible for other people's feelings. I'm not responsible for your feelings. You're not responsible for my feelings. Okay? If someone doesn't want to listen to the whole concert, that is their prerogative. If someone thinks I'm showing off when I tumble on the grass and doing things that they can't do, that is just fine. I am always going to try and be respectful of other people's times, uh, of their time. But guess what? If I want to sing at the end of my own recital that I've worked hard to put on, then I'm going to get up and do it. (laughs) I have spent years, even decades, hiding because of what I thought I should or shouldn't be doing. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I want to live the life that makes me feel alive, that makes me feel joyful. So here's what I've started saying to that voice in my brain. Besides, maybe sometimes I just want to say, F off, get out of here. (laughs) You know that the voice I'm talking about, the voice that says I'm selfish for performing, for taking up people's time, for showing off. And you know what I say? I say, I am worthy. I am here. I am present. I'm going to live my life. I'm not catering to what other people think I should do. People are lucky that they get to hear me sing. 
whether or not I'm the best singer in the world or not. Because I have worked hard and I'm a human and I have something to say and they're lucky to be there. And they are lucky to hear what I have to say. They're lucky to see me tumble. And I have as much right to be here, to take up my space, and to speak my voice as anybody else. After Hannah listened to last week's episode, she mentioned, sorry, I'm just a little emotional about this. Um, She mentioned how sometimes we give inanimate objects more right to take up space than we give ourselves. Like when we need to drive a long distance, we know that there's going to be a long stretch of road. There's going to be mountains and bridges and lakes that we have to go around. And we understand the vast amount of space that is between where we are and where we want to go. And we plan for it and we have things to do in the car and I pack books and coloring for my kids. When we have a long trip, I know that there is space and I allow for that space. I know it's there. I respect it. And then here I am and I take up space and yet my space is somehow unworthy of existing. Well, not anymore. And I hope you are done hiding I hope you're as done hiding as I am because I'm ready to live my life. I am just ready to do what feels meaningful for me. I want to create art that feels exciting and risky for me. And you know what? You all are just lucky enough to be along to witness the amazing things that I do. Okay? (laughs) So stop waiting in the wings, my friends. It's time to go out and take the stage in Boca Lupo. Thank you for listening to another episode of Take the Stage Opera Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and give us a review. It helps us to continue delivering quality material. 